Can you select your name, please? Hi, I'm John Forrest. I am 510 and I'm based in Los Angeles. Welcome to Slate Your Name, the podcast where actors and creators share true Hollywood stories and talk about the highs and lows of working in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Michael McMillan, and this week I am sitting down with John Forrest. John and I came out to L.A. around the same time, met through mutual friends, and recently got to work together in For All Mankind Season 3 on Apple Plus TV, uh, in which... John played the recurring role of Jeremy Zilke, who uh, caused some problems in the White House. John has also appeared in series like Chicago Fire, American Crime Story, Insecure, and much, much more. He and I have also tested for the same pilot more than once, which uh, we discovered in this conversation. It was a blast having him on the podcast, so you know what? Let's get right into it. Here's my chat with actor John Forrest. John Forrest, my old friend. Welcome to Slate Your Name. How are you, pal? I'm well, dude. Thank you for having me. Uh, You're saying I'm well as you are rubbing the sides of your temples. This seems to be indicative of any actor that I speak to these days in, in Hollywood. We're all full of shit. We pretend for a living and we're full of shit. Um, no, I am, I am good. I am just... Uh, I'm sorting out our technical issues and I... And now that they're sorted, I really have no reason to be uh, to be stressed. Great, yeah, we're rolling, baby. Yeah. This is happening. This is happening. We're just two. We're just two men in the Slate Your Name virtual theater, hanging out and talking <laughs> about our careers. You know, it's uh, it's long overdue. I feel like we have we. I feel like we have things to discuss. We absolutely we have at least one shared story that we'll probably get into. Where I'm going to try not to talk too much, uh, which is a big challenge of mine. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard being the host. I mean, I'm doing it right now. I'm, I'm taking taking up all the, the time to talk. Do it, because I am notoriously jittery and nervous on podcasts. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, as long as you can carry uh, it. Carry, yeah, yeah. The, carry this, pick up the slack is what I'm saying. Pick up the slack. Well, let's start, let's start right there. What is it about podcasting that makes you nervous? It's the age-old thing, right? Like... You don't have lines, you don't have, uh, you have not rehearsed, you don't know what you're doing, and I just manage nervous energy as a human, and I think it's just a challenge to wrangle thoughts uh, also as a human, so I, I don't mm -hmm. know, I just get, I get kind of all over the place, it's my ADD, I guess. Now, does that happen in regular conversations from, from day to day with just people you run into, or at home with no, your wife? Or no, no. Not uh, not at all. It's just a thing when I know I'm recording, it's like I feel like I need to perform even though we're just having a conversation. But because we're recording it and I'm looking at you on a screen and I have headphones on, it's like, oh, you, you're on, dude. Let's do it. Let's 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 pull the, the shtick out. This feels like but a therapy it? session already. Is this what this is supposed great, to be? Great. Okay, great. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I, but this is fascinating, and I guess why I'm getting into this right off the bat is because I think it, it really kind of gets to the heart of what we're supposed to do as actors. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the idea of all we're trying to do is replicate 
natural behavior, sometimes in very heightened circumstances or uh, high concept circumstances. I mean, you might be on the deck of a Star Destroyer, you know, chasing after a rebel, uh, God rebel willing. fleet of starships. Yeah, you know, God willing. I mean, hey, man, our chances are better than ever <laughs> with, thanks to Disney+. Plus. But that is the thing is that's the trick, right, is the thing that we all do every day and don't even think about, which is just interact, react, listen, and speak, sudden, suddenly becomes such a challenge when you have to do it on cue. It's 100% true. Uh, yeah. the um, It reminds me of an acting class exercise from years ago uh, called the private moment exercise, where you had to craft your, situ- your real-life living situation and just exist in it in front of people and the goal being to be private in public i think it's a stanislavskiism um but that it if you could boil down what acting is to one exercise i kind of think that's it and that's and i also totally butchered it the first time and the teacher asked me if i had a learning disability and uh, I just didn't follow the rules at all. <laughs> oh, no. It was awful. And she was, you know, what? this famous, famous New York City acting teacher who, you know, coached Brando and James Dean and who, whoever the hell else um, titans of our uh, industry. And, um, yeah, it was brutal. And uh, Is you this know, Estella Adler? It was, her name was Terry. Lee Strasberg? It was Strasberg-based, I yeah. believe. And I don't know if I should say her name, but she has since passed on. And we actually developed a beautiful relationship. Years, you know, we worked together for years. Um, that was the intro to mm-hmm. us working together. And it, 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 anyway, she was right about everything. Um, I think it's okay to say her name. Terry She's Hayden. Passed. Terry Hayden. Okay. Um, I was at Circle in the Square Theater School in the early two thousands. Wow. Yeah. Circle in the Square Theater School. I mean, Circle in the Square. That's a big. Is that? It's off Broadway, technically, right? It's no, off it's, Broadway. It's Tell right, people what it is. It's right on Broadway. It's a Broadway theater, okay. uh, 50th and Broadway, and they were a functioning Broadway theater. And then in the bowels of their basement, they had these probably illegal classrooms um, that we would train with some of the best teachers in the city. We had a number of Juilliard teachers. We had people, you know, from the, you know. Stella Adler tradition, from the Lee Strasberg tradition, from the Meisner tradition. I mean, it was a great melting pot of just insanely talented uh, teachers. And so we were, yeah, kind of this like stepchild of the New York City school scene. Um, We weren't NYU, we weren't Juilliard, but we kind of got the same training. Um, And I loved it. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. I loved all the teachers there. And uh, it was, it was amazing. But it was it was just so funny because we're literally in the basement of a theater while there's like shows going on and you know Dick Cavett is walking through the halls and Sebastian Bach who was in uh, what was it um, Rocky Horror Picture Show just like it just wanted to hang out with with like students and just like be an idiot so it was fun it was a really cool uh, way to to get that training. What was Dick Cavett doing there? He was the narrator of the rocky horror picture show um oh very cool yeah yeah <laughs> i couldn't tell you anything else about it um i think i, I think i think <laughs> i saw very busy 10 minutes show. of a dress rehearsal but yeah that's what he did what i think he would do riffs on like you know current events every you know he would just improv i think a lot of it 
Yeah. What? So I want to circle back to this uh, private moment exercise. What were you doing that alarmed uh, your teacher? Funny enough that you should ask. I was trying to perform, Mike. I was trying mm. to perform. The The goal was to pick a task and just an, a mundane task, like sewing a button. Um, and of course, I thought to myself, well, I don't do that in my normal life. Why would I sew a button? That's not something I do. And so I picked up a guitar and started recording myself trying to write a song and then hit stop on the recorder and kind of looked to the teacher and I was kind of like, I'm done. And the goal was to just do it <laughs> until she said stop. And people did this exercise for over an hour and they just lived in their space and oh, they just, God. and I just did it for literally three minutes and hit stop on the recorder. And I said, I'm done. And she, the first thing out of her mouth, do you, <laughs> do you have a learning disability you didn't tell me about? Oh my. God. And she wasn't just being flip. I I had mentioned <laughs> in another class. <laughs> I had mentioned in another class to another teacher that she was very close with that I, you know, as a, as a high school student, they said I had ADD and, you know, it somehow mm -hmm. came up. And so I think she was trying. She, you know, she So that might have been in the back of her mind. Exactly, but it just it came out as as such a perfectly <laughs> timed dig. That uh yeah. Yeah, it was brutal. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing funnier. I was gonna say worse, but I actually think it's funny than that little gap between <laughs> finishing an acting exercise and then looking at the teacher for like, well, because it is a, it is, it is a very unnatural segue. That's why. That's where we get the classic now often parodied scene you know and exactly. scene you know exactly it's, it's really hard to get out of that state well i think if anything it's just an echo of that thing you learn uh which is don't you, they call cut you keep going don't stop like just you wait till mm -hmm. you're cut and um you know don't direct yourself in a scene tough tough not to i will say in your favor Tough not to feel like you're performing in an in, ex, in a private exercise when like your private exercise is playing a guitar and singing or writing a song. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like you kind of you chose an activity that 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 lends to performance as exactly. opposed to just being like I'm going to sweep. Well, that was exactly what I did wrong, and she made a point of hammering that home over the course of two years, so that when I finally did it again after being in school for two years, um. What I did this time, I kind of, she, she as she called it, I flirted with her a little bit. I, I tune, I <laughs> restrung a guitar, but I didn't okay. play, it, but I didn't play it at all. So I just did the, the activity of restringing, cutting the strings, tuning it, and then, and she said, I, "I saw what you did there. You flirted with me a little bit, but that's more in line with what this exercise <laughs> is about." And then I sewed some buttons. Ma'am, I don't that's know what... what part. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what part of the stringing the guitar constitutes as a flirtation. <laughs> she sounds wild. Honestly, she was, and I know we're speaking God, ill. Of... <laughs> no, no, no. She was fantastic. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. She was so fantastic, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I am so grateful that she had um, the, these these moments with me. And um, 
she was kind of notorious for falling asleep, or at least people thought she was falling asleep. But <laughs> but but think of it, dude. Like she's she's trained Brando, she's trained James Dean. She knows what she's seeing. So when she can look at you for ten seconds, thirty seconds, be like, I get I get it. I know what's going on here. Like sure, take a nap, take a nap. Like you probably have figured yeah. it out. Like she. They did a very deep dive on like your place in the family. Do you have older siblings, younger siblings? They wanted to get a deep psychological profile of you before you even opened your mouth, so that they know they knew what they were dealing with. Uh, just as you as a person, and that was more. Do you feel like that was more for them than it was for you unlocking any truth or honesty in your work? I think it was part of that Strasbourg stuff where it's like your own life, your personal experience, and. Um, honoring that as your connection to emotional life. And I think it just was part and parcel of uh, the emphasis on that or the importance of that. So, Interesting. Yeah. I miss, I miss, I kind of burn out on acting class oh, after. Dude, who doesn't? You know, I went to conservatory, finishing up high school at an arts academy and then college. So I did like seven years straight of like classical theater training and I got out to LA and I was just like, I'm done, <laughs> you know, but I, I miss, I miss it, you know, in a weird, weird way. I think it's good. I think it's good to like have some routine maintenance and maybe it's time to, to go back in the classroom. Do you ever miss being in the classroom? Do you take classes? I have taken class in recent years. I mean, mostly before the pandemic, um, I haven't done anything since then, uh, but it was super helpful. Um, yeah, I just I just can't imagine having to. The thing that always stops me is like, oh, do I really want to like schedule a scene <laughs> rehearsal at someone's apartment like Ex that? Well, that's the thing. That right? sounds like the worst part. It's it is the worst part, and but that old thing kicks in for me where it's like I don't want to fucking get embarrassed by my acting teachers when I go up again. So it's like, I'm scared straight to rehearsing the shit out of it. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And so I make the time for it. But, you know, I have a child now and a wife and need to find, you know, odd job employment. So you it's, have a life. I have I mean, a life now. So yeah. Yeah. It's, acting school is very great for, is very great. It's very great <laughs> for uh, people in their early 20s because they don't have a life. You know what I mean? Like they go out, they socialize, but no one really has a life. Which is really ironic because your whole point of being there is to replicate life. And so it, yeah. it's kind of a funny, ironic conundrum where, well, maybe you should just go get a life and then you'll know how to act better or you'll have more more to draw oh, on, certainly. How I look back at playing a 17-year-old uh, as a 17-year-old playing like a character out of like Jerry from Betrayal. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Harold, like what 18, 19-year-old boy knows anything about extramarital affairs, people in their like early 40s well, in London, no less. Well, like, exactly. You know what I mean? in, a, in a time period that has already happened, you know? Like, that's what gets it's so, so stupid. Well, especially with like some of that Strasbourg stuff. And I probably was just misunderstanding it. But a lot of that, you know, emphasis on, well, you know, let's let's tie this into your personal experience. It's like, well, I don't know that. I Yeah. You know, like someone stole my toy as a child. I mean, what am I supposed to substitute? Like, anyway, I, I don't know. Um, 
It's all a bunch of bullshit, Mike. I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> so how did you get to New York? Where did you grow up? When were you like acting? This sounds like a good idea. I grew up in New Hampshire and uh, I went mm-hmm. to school in Massachusetts and it was in um, probably like college, s- you mean? No, well, well uh, high school. I where you're to, just so close. Yeah, to we're very, we were very close. We were right over the border uh, in Nashua, New Hampshire. And uh, I went to a sort of fancy boarding school. Um, and then I went to Bates College in Maine for two years. And then I dropped out and went to Circle in the Square. But anyway, I found acting pretty, Got it. pretty early as like a, a middle schooler. Um, and then when I got to high school, the high school that I went to, I went to a middle sex school in Concord, Mass. And they just had an incredible theater department, that incredible arts department, and it rivaled pretty much any college um, around. And so we, when I got there, it was just kind of off to the races. And my first, I was like, I went as, I came in as a sophomore because my other school went through ninth grade. And the mm-hmm. first, the fall production was The Crucible. And so I was like, well, you know, maybe I can get like a little something in this. And I ended up getting cast as John Proctor as a sophomore. Holy shit. And so it was like, okay, well, here you go. It's like, put up or shut up. And, again, um, again, a perfect example of like a grown man <laughs> in a situation that is very difficult for a teen boy to wrap his mind around. You know what? I did my damnedest. and uh, I bet you did. Faked it till I made it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> So you got that big boost of confidence right away. You mu- you must have had a lot of like jealous, jealous made a lot of jealous frenemies right off the bat. Like, I don't know, this maybe, new kid getting John Proctor. Maybe, but I don't know. I mean, I was pretty unassuming uh, in those days, and I I certainly was just shocked as anyone, and um, kind of just kept my head down and you know did my thing. Also, it was an interesting place because you had like crossover between jocks and weirdo artist people like mm. there was no sort of delineation like well you just play sports or you just do painting and it was a it was a total crossover so you were in these plays with these like football players and it was just it's kind of like intimidating and i just again just kind of kept my head down and kind of did my own thing but but i enjoyed Smart. it i enjoyed it a lot and then uh went to Bates College, where I was not super thrilled and um, realized I really missed it and went, uh, dropped out and went to uh, conservatory training in New York at Circle in the Square. And that was with now, a, a couple of summers of uh, Williamstown Theater Festival in between, which helped reinforce um, wanting to do that. Bates, what, you, were you studying theater in college? Yeah, I was studying theater in English and um, depression. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, borderline alcoholism. Those were, mm-hmm. my, those were my interests. Um, I was just rhymed not... and ready to move to New York city <laughs> <laughs> right before nine like, 11. What, no less. where will, where will the world embrace these qualities the most <laughs> in the basement of a Broadway theater? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough, it, it seemed to be a good, a good fit. Williamstown is a big blank slate in my career. I had a lot of friends who went there in the summers. Can you tell tell us a little bit about that experience and explain what it is for listeners who may not know? Yeah, it's a, you know, and it's changed a lot since I went. But at the time, uh, and I think it's still pretty much the same thing, it, it was a sort of a very prestigious summer stock theater 
where you would get a swath of young kids, maybe just starting college, another swath of kids in grad schools, and then just famous actors of film and TV and theater, uh, all doing productions together. And I started as an intern, or excuse me, it was an, it was an apprentice is what it was called. And then went to their repertory company, which was a group of like 12 of us that just did our own plays for the summer. And then I was a non-equity actor the following summer and then came back again as a non-equity actor, but they turned me equity my final summer. And so, uh, cause I had a couple of parts cool. in, the, in the main stage shows. So again, it was kind of like the college experience that I wished I had when I went, when I went to Bates. Um, and you know, kind of felt like I, I wanted to pursue by going to uh, circle in the square, but it's just like this magical in the woods type fairyland where, you know, where you make art and uh, collaborate and, um, you know, do, do a fair amount of partying and uh, just have a great time. It was, it was a really, really special time. And I'm very grateful for my, my time there. I was always envious when I had friends that went and did that, but never, for whatever reason, never thought, well, you know, why don't I just apply? I was just like, that always seemed like something that was just like, well, that doesn't, I can't do that. I know. <laughs> I, you, well, know, you know, know, and I don't know why. I uh, I would not have applied if it were not for my father, who was <laughs> kind of like a stage parent. Um, he was always- Really? Yeah, oh, let's kind talk of. about this. Yeah, well, so, I mean, I was I came from a family where I was very supported in this and, you know, there were allowances made for me to do this and, um, you know, assistance uh, to, to make this all feasible financially. And, and my, but my dad was just, you know, he saw these plays in high school and I think he was kind of like, oh my God, well, you should keep doing this. And so, and, and as a bargaining chip for me not having to get a summer job, I was kind of like, well, maybe I can get work at a theater somewhere. And so um, in the summertime, uh, we would spend summers at our uh home in Maine on the coast. And there was a theater there called the Hackmatack Playhouse, which is just this little hole in the wall place where they would get New York talent to come up. And I just kind of talked them into letting me do a couple summers there. And then my dad was like, okay, you should try Williamstown now. And so, I don't know, it just became a, um, a thing that I did during the summers instead of getting a job. Um, because again, I was very fortunate to have the support. Um, and yeah, and so my dad was kind of the one who was always like, okay, well this, you know, and he was even the one that found the Circle in the Square Summer program that I started before I did their full two-year oh, program. Wow. And so he said, well, you should try this now. So he was just always like one step ahead in terms of planning and in terms of, um, you know, strategizing how to get the next step of the uh, journey going. It also sounds like he got it. Yeah, I kind of, and he's since passed away and I'm, you know, I miss him every day, but uh, he, he really kind of was like, uh, in a way, kind of like my first manager just in terms of, uh, and, and kind of like the, the best manager I've ever had just because he was so handsome wow. and, and not pushy and not, you know, just like, well, what about this? This looks like a good opportunity. You should try this. And he was genuinely, I think, interested in it and genuinely, I think, excited by me doing it. And I think was a bit of a frustrated performer himself. Um, okay. I was going to say, where did yeah. that, where do you think that came from? I think, so. I mean, he went into, you know, real estate that was sort of like, uh, the family business back there growing up. And I think he had, you know, both he and my mom loved the theater and they loved, you know, show tunes were, were played in our family trips and stuff. It's just like, they were very much a theatrical family. They were always taking us into Boston to see, you know, uh, performances there and, it was just something that was always always encouraged. My sister 
was a great singer and did tons of um, regional theater and my brother also. And in fact, they both got cast in a production of A Christmas Carol in our hometown that I then auditioned for and was not cast in. And I think that's what made me want to oh, do boy. this for a living. That, that was an awkward Christmas morning that year. <laughs> The director called my mom up and he's like, so I've got good news and I've got some bad news. He said, the good news is I can use two, oh, no. of, two of your kids. And oh. I would just have to go. And I went to like all of the, all of the performances and I just saw my brother and sister on stage with these, again, these like equity New York actors and this amazing production. And, and it just, I guess it just, I don't know. It, 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 I certainly that have something like to a prove director that. playing games. No, no, dude. I mean, I was at the awkward stage. My brother was like Tiny Tim because he was still young. I was in that gangly, awkward, tennis oh. year old phase. And my oh, come on, let's dip you in a chimney. Let's powder <laughs> you up. Let's. <laughs> you could be a little, you know, street urchin. Come on. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess they were all they they filled their quota. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, but that certainly stick, you, uh, stick you next to a dustbin. <laughs> you could at least be the tell me, boy, what day is today? Yeah, you no, no kidding, right? That uh, yeah, but they didn't want to cast another kid. There was a, someone who was playing another part was playing that kid, I think. Oh, I you see. know, like let's the just old, double yeah, up yeah. our our cast, saving saving some of the budget. Exactly. But that's so you're you're saying that put the little fire under you to be like, all right. I have on. to imagine that was a formative experience and I probably blocked out some of the emotion behind it. But um, yeah, going every night to see your brother and your sister in this performance and it was something that you auditioned for but didn't get. I mean, it was certainly a great lesson early <laughs> on in what this business is mostly yep. like. And um, and I did it anyway. I have, I have friends that, yeah, I have friends who... I'll be like, it just happened the other day. I I was talking to a buddy and I was like, have you watched Severance yet? Um, and he was like, no, I auditioned for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't get it. And it was just like, he didn't want to watch. I was like, it's good. And the, and the person who got the role he auditioned for is like so opposite of his type, you know, that it, it, I think when it's, I think it's harder when it's like so close, yeah. like so, but when you're like, oh, okay, well they obviously went a very different direction. That definitely I makes think, it easier. I think. Yeah. But it is hard, but now, you know, there was a time when I didn't, I kind of stepped back from watching stuff in general just because it was, I felt like I couldn't escape the business. So when I sat down to like watch TV, I wanted to watch sports or yeah. reality TV or something that like wasn't scripted that I didn't have to think about. And then I, in the past couple of years, especially during the pandemic, I started catching up on a lot of stuff. And now I feel like, okay. I need to make it a point to watch the stuff that I go out for to see if I can find the roles which they cast the role, you know, see who got the part, see, see if it made it, you know what I mean? Totally. And it, happened it, it happened recently on, um, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a bit of a Please. tangent, but I think it was American crime story, the, the impeachment of Bill Clinton series. I had a very small part in that. That's right. Very small. Well, part. Possibly I almost the smallest a... part of the entire show. <laughs> well, Hey, I mean, I went on tape twice 
Like I got a no, it was one of the rare situations of self tape where, cause we're all doing these self tapes now where I, I tape myself and then they like uh, two weeks later, they came back and they were like, Oh, producers liked what you did, but can you try it this way? And it was one of those where the note was half, half, halfway made sense and half confusing. And I was like, <laughs> gosh, this would be so much easier if we were just in the room. So I could ask a couple questions. Did again, never heard anything back. And then I saw it was for a lawyer. I think it was for um, Connie Nelson's lawyer. Okay. Was Connie Nelson in that? I can't remember. I don't know either. I can't remember who it was. Anyway, long story short, I went, oh, I was really bummed I didn't get this. It's in it for 30 seconds and then it never comes back. Yeah. And the guy was very different for me, but I... I can't remember what the point of this story was because now well, I'm just thinking about, about how, auditions. But well, just about how you went through a phase of not wanting to see um, yeah. stuff, and I feel like I went through that phase too. And I feel like it's almost a sign. But of, I think, yeah, I think it's always worse in your mind than when you actually watch it, and you're like, okay, this would have been a fun day at work, but this wasn't going to make or break my career totally. in any direction. I, I you know. I think it's a sign of maturity when you are able to get over that stuff or, or just a sign of um, mental health that you're able to get over that because, mm -hmm. but, but it's, it's certainly a, a challenge, especially starting out or even in the middle of doing this for over a decade. Uh, I, I went through this, the same thing. And then I, it got to the point where I was auditioning for these shows and I was just like, what, what even is this? And then I realized, well, maybe I should watch it to just to see how this, like the pacing and just to see how the like camera work and the, what it feels like. And I mean, it's so stupid that I would, I, I think of the years of auditions that I auditioned, auditioned for shows that I just was not watching or unaware of what the, you know, I remember going in for Gilmore, Gilmore Girls, which my wife just rewatched the mm -hmm. entire seven seasons of, and I wanted to move, but you know, I just, um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's fun. It's great. And it's actually like, I got sucked into it, but yeah. it was every single night when she got home from work, it was just like, Oh my God, I have to watch this again. But <laughs> completely unaware at the time when I was auditioned, I auditioned for that show a few times and I just can't believe I didn't sit down to watch to get the, I mean, talk about a show where rhythm is important. Um, yeah. I, I didn't, do that work, that simple work of just watching the show. I mean, that's just so it's, it baffles me now. And it, you know, I think it takes going through years of leanness where you're like, you don't take any opportunity for granted. I certainly feel that way now. Um, tried to do as much prep as possible for every audition. And um, I just can't believe I, I went years like that without watching the, the source material for the thing that I was going in for. I think it's tough. I, I, I've, I've been the same. I mean, there were there were times in my career where I would, you know, if I got a script, I would sit down, I'd read that script top to bottom. Um, and there then there were times when I was like, I'm just going to look at the sides because I think I think what happens as you, you know, over the at least in my case, I've been doing this 20 years. I think you've been doing it close to that. Yep. Um. You, even when you book it, you never know why you booked it. <laughs> yes. And and I think you I think so you're constantly pursuing this alchemical spell of what's the perfect balance of caring, not caring, prepping, not prepping. Because you hear all this mixed stuff. You know, you always hear, oh, I just barely looked at that and I walked right I know, in and, and I, think, I got the part. 
I think you've, it, you've, I've certainly had, and I'm sure you have had experiences with both where the least prep you do, you get it. And sometimes you work your ass off and, and also get it. Also, your, your turn of phrase there was, was gorgeous, Mike. Alchemical art. I think it was like alchemical magical spell. spell. Yeah. yeah. Well, this, that comes from uh, doing five years of a, of a podcast about the unexplained <laughs> and the occult. So, <laughs> um, look, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about how you made it out to California. And then uh, one audition experience that we shared together, uh, which turned out to be a massive disappointment for both of us. <laughs> but bonded us for life. I can't wait. All right, we'll be right back. Okay, John Forrest. So last we left off, we were talking about um, wizards. Now, Mm. I want to know, how did you make it out from New York to LA? It was the end of 2005 and some of the folks that I had gone to uh, Williamstown with had designs on coming here to LA and um, one of the young ladies uh, in our group said well let's just do a showcase and so she set up everything and kind of did this you know yeoman's work of of getting everything up and running finding a space inviting agents and um, we all came out and did it and got some good response. And prior to, I think it was either right before that or right after that, I got flown out here to test for a pilot. And um, I just felt like there were a lot of things calling me to LA. And this was right after my father had just passed away. And I was Mm. kind of ready for something new and leaving New York. I had been there for almost five, five and a half years. It just seemed like everything was saying, go West young man. And, uh, and so I did. What do, what was the pilot? It was one of the untitled, you know, I think it was, uh, I believe it was called the Untitled Holly Hester Project. Dude, are no. you kidding me? No, no, no. For real? I booked that. What? We tested against each other. We what? must have tested against each other. That is wild. Oh my God, dude. Of course you booked that. Everybody, everybody listening at home, I had no idea. We had no idea that this was coming up. Was it for the young... Was it for like the youngest adult gay son? No, <laughs> no. Oh, okay, well then I, I then I. Uh, it was was for, it the middle? No, the middle no. son. It was for oh the guy who worked at the news station. Yes, he was like the 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 executive who was kind of like a kid. Uh, didn't really yes in young, over his head, but like privileged and didn't really know what he was doing. And that went to an actor named I think Eugene Bird is his last name. I'm gonna Google him right now. This is so amazing. I can't believe we have yet more connections in our uh, crossover. Eugene Bird, yeah, Eugene Bird. He played this role, and the role was because this this was a this was a pilot starring. Um, Oh, why? Oh, this is so funny. Let me see if it's down here. It, it eventually was called like Marsha Potter Gets a Life was the what it became. I don't even know if this is on IMDb. Um, and it was Brenda Blethyn. Uh, yeah, here we go. Marsha Potter Gets a Life. It's it's a it's a TV movie, but that's because it was uh, short-lived it was just a pilot. 
And it doesn't even have, I'm not even, am I listed in this? Anyway, I know the character that you were talking about. It's not listed under Eugene's credits, um, the character name, but that's wild. I, as soon as you were like 2005, I was like, wait a minute. What was <laughs> Weirdly. All right. So we didn't go out for the same part. No. So we could have, we could have shot a pilot together. Dude, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Especially given some of the other crossover we've had in our careers. Yeah. So you came out for the, sorry, we got sidetracked because yeah, yeah. of the coincidence. So you, uh, pilot didn't get picked up, ABC pilot. So you came out for that and, and were you, how, t- talk to me about that experience flying um, out for the first time to do that. I mean, it was so thrilling and scary and I was just, you know, trying to manage the nerves of the whole thing. And um, I think my managers at the time had just expanded to have a west coast office and so i was like oh you know it'd be so great if i got this i'd already have representation built in and blah 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 and um but i was just so nervous man i mean and and what a letdown i knew i blew it in the actual um because you know they, they i don't know about you but they gave they gave note sessions between our first uh Either the network read and then the studio read. I forget which, yeah, which came first. I, I remember that. Yeah, they gave notes and they were like, "We really, really love what you're doing, um, but maybe try this." And they wanted me to play it like, because Punked was a very popular uh, zeitgeist at the time, and they were like, "We want you to play it like you you think you're being punked," and it just added this total veneer to what I was uh-huh. doing and I was like okay but it's like throwing like uh, a juggler doing his act and you throw in like an anvil it's like oh okay like you want me to right. go, you want me to go perform that now okay or maybe um, just a different frame of reference would have helped you cuz instead of like picturing yeah. Ashen Kutcher and his like his like wristbands and his trucker hat you know yeah, what I mean that, that might have like <laughs> sent me in the wrong direction you know um yeah it just well it was just like Again, a trial by fire in learning what is involved in making TV. It's like there are quick adjustments like that, and you some you do have to know how to how to take that note. And I just didn't. I mean, I just didn't. Yeah. I couldn't process it, and I got in there and was just doing a convoluted mess. And I think it just fell flat. Um, and I remember walking out, and we were sort of in the courtyard, and I saw them, and they saw me, and they kind of turned and went the other way. Oh <laughs> no! Just because they didn't yeah. want to have to be like, yeah, it didn't work. Um, <sighs> And it was just, it was rough, man. It was rough for a 25-year-old. Uh, but again, just a great a great primer in what this uh, biz really, really does entail. Well, let's look at some of the early roles that you did book. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm sorry. I got to go back from, I'm now on you. I got to get, I should also get John, or uh, John. I should get Eugene on the show at some point um, as well. Because I'd love to hear if he got that note. And then, <laughs> yeah. You know oh my I mean? God, that would that would answer so many of my life's questions, actually. Yeah. Okay. So I this, I'm going down your IMDb list. I'm going to pick some roles that you've played. Okay. Should I follow along or just like close nope, my eyes? No. Nope, okay. I don't want you cheating because this okay. is a game I like to call "Show Me Your Name." I'm going to name the character. You're going to tell me what job it was. Okay. The first role is delivery boy. Oh my God. That was my very first appearance on television uh, in the Guiding Light uh, soap opera in New York. And I got like an under five part. My first role was right on the heels of my father passing okay, away. Okay, what's an under five? An under five, people? at least as I recall it, is a role you get on like a soap opera that's not, I, I wouldn't even say qualifies as like a co-star. It's just, 
they can pay you a really, really low <laughs> uh, fee to come on and basically deliver a piece of information. And um, I was a delivery so you have boy. Under five lines. Under five lines. Thank you. That's that's the answer to your question. Yes. And so I was a delivery boy delivering a medicine to someone who was not home. And someone took that medicine and and I said, the instructions of the medicine were twice a day with feeding or formula. And then I left and she goes, feeding and fo- feeding or formula? And it was because she, this woman had had a secret baby that no one knew. Oh, yeah. Got it. And so that was my big... Uh, and they were shooting the rehearsal um, and I was like, oh, okay. And then they just took that take and that was, again, a great lesson. It's like, especially with soap operas, apparently... So they, they were just, like, we're not coming back to it. We're just going to no, use No, they're just like, the okay, rehearsal. you're going to do this and you're standing here and John, just come in here and, and you just hand this at your line and then you just turn and walk out and okay, let's just shoot the rehearsal. And we rolled and we did it once and they're like, okay, that's great. Great. Moving on. Thanks. And it was Wow. It. Great. How many hours were you in uh, like on, on job that, on the job that day? Uh, probably, I don't know, three or four, just like, you know, getting their early makeup, sitting around super nervous, stre- you know, going through the every permutation of how I could deliver these lines, <laughs> what works best, quick, not quick, um, you know, character backstory for this stupid little delivery guy. <laughs> what was it? Oh God, I couldn't even tell you. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was also just a thrill to be on set and, you know, just dealing with the excitement of like, there's lights, there's cameras, there's a crew. Being on set is it's, so exciting, dude. It's so, but it's days. also Still like is. it's also like playing music. I liken it to music as a musician, but being in your room practicing a, a song and then getting up in front of like a a bar full of people, it's a completely different uh, muscle that you're that you're flexing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. But um, that was that. That was what that was. Here's another role, Cooper Wilson. Cooper, Cooper Wilson, Wilson, that was uh, without a trace. Wow, you're good at this game. And I played a TV news producer whose lead anchor had gone missing. Okay. And they came asking me about him, and I talked all this shit. Like, he was, like, trying to get a better job in a bigger market. And uh, and then we find him at the end, and I go to interview him on a stretcher, and he's like, I quit. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, yeah, just, like, angsty, very angsty. I uh, I played a character on Without a Trace who stalked a girl off a cliff in a quarry, and that's how she died. <laughs> stalked her? Hold on. Yeah, literally you... was like, hi, look- Sky," And she's I'm like, get away from me. You. I'm get looking away. at you. She backed up, fell off a quarry edge. I held on to her, and then I decided to let her go and let her die. <laughs> One of my favorite oh. parts. Dude, and I love And then that. framed Justin Kirk for the murder. Oh, as you do. Her college professor wow um all right let's let's pick one more and then because we're running a little low yeah, on yeah. time jeff spelled the untraditional way oh you mean like ye old english with the g yeah um, yeah i believe that was house god you're good at this all I these mean, generic names in your name i don't know it. i haven't i mean i have credits but i don't have a ton of credits i mean I, I I beg to differ. I well, I beg to differ. I'm looking all up and down this. 42 credits. That's not nothing. Well, um, yeah. So that was House, and I played <laughs> I played a guy who was apparently very religious, and according to the director, a bag of rocks as far as intelligence goes. And he okay. kept he kept telling me, "Dumber, John, just dumber. He's a bag of rocks. Dumber, dumber, dumber." <laughs> and 
I show up at the hospital. My wife is pregnant, but we're both virgins, supposedly. Okay. And House is at first very dismissive. Even after like, marriage. Wow. Well, we're I, no, sorry. We are we are betrothed, engaged. We are okay. Betrothed. Okay. Yes. And um, and she's like, well, couldn't have it happened some other way? And he's like, no, it's like you know the guy you had sex with. And it's a Christmas. It was the Christmas episode. And um, again, Christmas just a recurring theme in your career. I guess, dude. I guess. And um, he later tells me. This is a process, I double-checked the results, this is a process known as parthenogenesis, which is a, an actual uh, occurrence in, like, the reptile and, I think, shark world. Like, there is a spontaneous pregnancy that a female just develops a pregnancy without... What? With, yeah, it's called parthenogenesis. I mean, I remember this from Jurassic Park. I think, I think it how... might be the same... Yeah, I think that might be okay. the same process. This can and, happen in people? No, so it's never happened in people, but House, oh, okses, okay. but House is like, it's only been theorized, but, you know, this you is the almost, first time. You almost shattered my worldview. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been on the other podcast. Yeah. Wait a minute. Uh, I need you to record a segment for a different show. Go on. <laughs> so anyway, he's just like, as, as his Christmas gift to me, he... He lies to me and says, uh, okay. your wife had a spontaneous birth. And I think it's like, oh my God, it's the second coming because I'm right. religious. And I look, you know, and it's this whole Christmas theme. And he just lied to me, a susceptible dumb guy. He being Hugh Laurie? Yes. How was that? Oh, it was awesome. He was fantastic. And I was, I was impressed. It was the first time I had been on set with someone who even off camera was not dropping back into their natural accent. He he maintained an American accent wow. just in talking to you normally. And I found that like, oh, this I've heard of such things, but now I'm I, I think it. you would have to I would have to if I was doing some accent. And I, I think I would be up front at the beginning being like, hey, I'm not method. I'm not trying to be weird, but just so I stay in it, yeah. I'm gonna just from from the time I'm on set till the time I go home, I'm going to try to stay in this accent. It made perfect sense. And he was not in any way like, I'm Dr. House. He was just yeah. like, I'm going to keep this. Um, but yeah. Because yeah. it's a muscle. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's completely muscular. Yeah. Um, okay. We are going to go over to the green room uh, over at patreon.com slash slate your name. But before, do we have a quick, do you have a little bit of time to tell this story in between about our experience uh, in New York. Oh gosh, yes. Let's. Uh, um, I'll I'll keep it moving. I'll try to keep it uh, quick. But um, I mean, I have all the time. I just want to make sure you have enough time. Oh, I have we, plenty of time. Yeah. Okay. Because we are going to hang out backstage for the on the Patreon. But um, let's close out this 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 episode with this story. So, um, gosh, Mike, what year was it? Two thousand eight. Probably around there. Yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. There was a show. Do I do I name names or do I not name names? I think we can name names. Okay. Uh, there was a show called Beach Lane that was being produced. No, I couldn't remember the title of the pilot. Okay, okay. I think you shook your head, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Did I? No, I couldn't remember. I'm so glad that you said that because I would. I I, I really repressed a lot of this. <laughs> um. So. Beach Lane being produced by Lorne Michaels, um, and I believe it. I believe Patton Oswalt had been cast as this guy who was like a young, a young heir to a fortune, and just kind of like a, a 
lackadaisical slacker type, um, but had come into all this money. And Matthew Broderick was also in it. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember what his function as a, his character uh, in it, but um, went in for he had audition. to put up with this guy. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, and so he uh, so got the call. Went in. I actually had an acting class where it was like a group class, and I I brought that in that morning to work on it. Um, because I yeah, the, so Patton Oswalt got recast. I'm sorry, or he yes. got fired from the pilot for reasons that we don't know. So they were they were trying to recast that role, and so I got that call that morning. I had just so happened to have an acting class that morning where it was a group class, and you could bring in material. And I had this audition in the afternoon, so I brought it in and worked on it. Felt good about it. And um, sorry, my headphones just went out, but you you can hear me, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, went to the audition did well had a good time and that i think is soon i don't know i it, in my memory i was walking off the lot when i got a call from my agent that said they want to put you on a plane to to 30 rock tonight and you're going to test tomorrow for lauren michaels and you know the producers yeah i was like oh my red God. eye a red eye flight. a red eye I was and, getting the same phone call around four o'clock this after that afternoon it was a friday yeah it was a Friday, and because this was moving fast and already was like filming, they were like, "You're gonna take the red eye out." And Saturday morning at like ten thirty, eleven thirty New York time, which is like for us in LA, that's like seven thirty, eight thirty in the morning. We were gonna go in and and test for for this pilot to, and so, to replace Patton Oswalt. And unbeknownst to either of us, we were both. Uh, on our way to the airport and we saw each other. I don't remember where we saw Check each in. other. We were checking in and okay. you were there and I was like, are you? And you're like, yes, are you? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, here we go, buddy. <laughs> oh, dude. And I remember that flight just being like, do I look at my sides? Do I try to sleep? We were talking and just going back and forth about the craziness of the whole thing. 12 new pages of sides. Oh, that's right. New, the sides being the script, 12 brand new rewrites. And because it was the last minute flight, we had these like middle seats. I oh think I was God. at the very back of the plane. And I was like, do I sleep? Because the flight out was at like 9.30 p.m. And everything up till then was a scramble to like get all your shit out, get your shit settled and get to the airport. So I didn't even look at the new pages until I was sitting in that seat. And then yep. I kept thinking, I got to learn this, fall asleep and get up and go... For like, Do this. for like 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. New York time, which was like 6 a.m. our time. And I remember we we got, you know, the, the flight was just a blur and we got to our hotel and we kind of just, I guess we each had our own room and showered and uh, headed over. And then just sitting in that corridor of 30, 30 Rock waiting to go in. And there were, I think, I can't remember the other actors. I think Rob Hubel was there. Yes, that's right. And there were like there were like seven or eight of us testing for this. Were there thing. that it many? Was, it was a lot. Wow. I remember being like, "Boy, this is a lot of these are a lot of options," and it was a wide scope of of people. And I mean, in my mind, it was seven or eight. Maybe it was more like five, but I was just like, I remember being delirious and tired. And still off, not off book. I was no. just like, this was the worst way to do this 
Totally. And um, one of the other uh, actors, uh, <laughs> we were we were prepping, and she yep. she wanted to read with us, and um, and she yeah just was like okay I know what they want do it like this in my session with her she's like I think you're great and do it like this and blah 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 and we were rehearsing this in in Lorne Michaels office and she's like go look in his bathroom and I looked in the around the corner into the bathroom and he kept all of his Emmys in in the bathroom <laughs> and I was like just like so so overwhelmed so I don't know they just were like go we, go rehearse in Lauren's office and I was like Are yeah you sure? we okay. should say in the audition room was Lauren Michaels Matthew Broderick was reading was going to be reading with us you know it's funny you say that that Lauren was in the audition I don't remember I think I he was even, there I don't even think I looked there. at him I think I was so deer in headlights about everything that I didn't even take in who was there I just remember being like, I'm acting, I'm pretending to be in a car with Matthew Broderick with a yep. fake steering wheel, and I don't know mm -hmm. what the hell I'm doing. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know where I am. I just, it, it was, oh, it was so awful. And um, and so when I left, uh, it, it was Kristen Johnson. She she came out and she's like, uh, uh -huh. she was like, and you 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 witnessed this too, correct? I witnessed the immediate aftermath because I was coming in right after you. They were right. calling so you're, me you're down. You're about to go in and you have to listen to this scene. But basically she was like, they don't think you're right, but I think you're great. And I just went in and tried to fight for you. And and I was like, and I was trying to just like get out of there because like I felt awkward seeing you. And I was just like, you just, were. Yeah, this was all happening as I was like at the other end of this long hallway walking towards the door. And I was just trying to get to the elevator and I was like, man, I'll talk to you later. And, and this is all going. And I was like, oh, thank you. No, it's OK. And I was kind of just like, it's all OK. I just want to be alone. I just want to go. You turned, walked down the hall. I looked at you as it passed by and I was like, eh? and you went, I didn't get it. And I was like, what? And you're like, I'll tell you later, man. <laughs> oh, dude, it was just the perfect uh, just the punctuation to an otherwise just completely fraught and frenetic and like, you know, Emmy, Emmy bathroom, uh, you know, just everything was so surreal. It was just such a surreal thing. Yeah. I was and 12 on no hours sleep. ago. We had been in LA, you know, going about yeah. our days and I, so I walked up, Kristen Johnson was waiting there and we had a moment to kind of like read something must have happened because, so we were going to read out in the hall we were reading out in the hall together and she was supposed to come into the room with me and didn't like they asked her not to come in I so think, well, after what had happened with me I maybe guess after was... what happened with you they were like okay take a break so i was i <laughs> so i but i remember like as we practiced a run through of the lines like I had the first line in the scene with her. I said my first line and she said, she looked at me and said, don't do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. So we go in and I just go in. I see Matthew Broderick there, shake hands. Lauren Michaels is there. I'm so tired. And you're right. It was a driving scene. And I remember being like, I don't know how to pretend I'm driving and look at my sides at the same yes. time because I have to. So I did a thing where I pantomimed steering, pulling the car over, parking it and turning and looking at him and having like an emphasis moment on, you know what I mean? I was yes, like, yeah, I'm going to like solve, I'm going to solve this problem by making the choice. And in the middle of the scene, 
the director going, wait, 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 no, 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 don't do that. You're supposed to be driving the car. And I was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Eyes on the road. But, Eyes on the road. Yeah, I was like, I pulled over. Uh, so, yeah. And I remember leaving that, going, that was a disaster. Getting a call right away. Yeah. There was no mystery I wasn't, about this. I wasn't getting it. And then and then I got a call from the producer from NBC who was like, okay, well, we're booking you a flight back to LA. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, what do you mean? I go, I have a hotel. You guys told me I had a hotel room. And they're like, no, that was for last night. And I was like, you mean the night that I was flying, we were flying out here? <laughs> I was like, I have not slept and I need to go sleep. And my agents got on the phone and this is a very kind thing they did. They were like, there is no way you're getting back on a plane tonight. You need to, we will keep that hotel room for you. You go back, you take a nap, and then you have a nice evening in New York City. You fly back tomorrow. Yeah. And and I remember, I don't know what you did. I, did you fly back that night? Because we didn't hang out in the city. No. You must have flown back to LA. Well, I guess I did fly back because we saw each other the following night at our friend Holt's birthday party oh my god that's right god so we things like, that i used to do in my late 20s and early know, 30s that I, I could bounce back from and so we uh, talked about it immediately and it felt like in my, again in my memory it's like i did it i got back on a plane i saw mike that night at holt's party and yeah. we just were like what the hell just happened i stayed in the city i went out hung out with friends got drunk with friends and i remember walking back to the hotel at two in the morning and seeing nick thune who booked the job walking out with a bottle of champagne in his hand, like hanging out with his buddies. And I was like, that son of a bitch. Like yep. we just had two opposite nights. Yep. The show, the show didn't get picked up. Didn't go, didn't end up going. Obviously there were issues with it, but it's rare that you're in a situation where you're like, I'm meeting all of these famous people. I'm exhausted. So I'm not funny in front of Lauren Michaels. Nope. This sucks. My career in comedy's over. I've blown my one chance to be seen by these people. They're going to say, who's that stinker? No, never. Um, yeah, all of that. It was so yep. overwhelming, dude. I'm, But I'm glad that I had a friend there because we had known know. each other. We had known each other before that. We'd met through front mutual friends, but I was so glad that I had a witness and a companion in that situation. It, it would not have sounded real if there wasn't someone to kind of verify it. If, you know, I don't, and I don't think I would have remembered all of the details if we haven't talked about it and refreshed each other's memories about it. Cause I, I just, I, it was fight or flight and it was yeah. like, Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed of what I've done. And I just want to get out of here. And, I, I know what's at stake. And maybe now in my 40s, I'd be able to like prep a little bit better. But at the time, but I remember at the time coming back and telling my my reps, I was like, I can't ever do that again Yeah, because I, I didn't sleep and then I can't perform. So like... It was completely unfair as far as... It was so giving unfair. Us, setting us up un- for success. It was It was unfair not that. for the producers. Like, yeah. If you're going to do it on the weekend, at least then do it on the Sunday. Give everyone like a day to breathe. I wonder if in this day and age, that's even a thing anymore. Do you need no. to be seen in person for that? Like it would have been a Zoom, Zoom or it would have been yeah. on tape. Or they would have had someone else take an offer. You know what I mean? Right. right. Like Rob Hubel would have taken the offer. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, oh, totally. Like, so very, not the way to get results for anyone by like... <laughs> It's crazy. 
John Forrest, thank you so much. My pleasure, dude. It's for being on the show. Where can people find your work, follow your work? Um, I, uh, I don't really have like a website to plug or anything. I am a musician. um, Instagram. Yeah, on Instagram, I'm John P. Forrest. I post a Mm -hmm. lot of pictures of my child and my dog. Mm -hmm. Um, I also. Play music, and I have a SoundCloud. Uh, I think it's called John Forrest Composing because I've been doing some composing. And in the, during the pandemic, I've kind of gotten into like synthesizers, and so I have another Instagram handle called Forrestral Maneuvers underscore in between Forrestral and Maneuvers, oh. where I post uh, little clips of just jams that I make on my little uh, bleep blurt machines. I'm following that right now. I yeah. do not know. And sometimes I set them to silly videos. Great. Well, thanks for being on the show. We're going to actually hang out over in the green room on the other side for a little bit. Uh, You have a story uh, that happened to you recently, I believe, that you want to tease for the listeners if they want to join us. Uh, I was uh, asked to do a day on Jerry Seinfeld's new movie uh, back at the beginning of June. Great. All right. We're going to go listen to that story right now over in the green room. All right, everybody, you can hear that story with John in the green room right now at patreon.com slash slate your name. A $5 monthly pledge not only will support the production of this podcast that you're listening to right now, which I do for free, no network. Um... It also uh, unlocks weekly bonus episodes featuring these bonus stories uh, from the guests. It's like hanging out backstage after the main show. So uh, please join us there. Patreon.com slash Slate Your Name. You know what? If you don't have $5, that's okay. Why not give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? If you do, I might read it right here at the end of the show like this one. Trixie, 1973, writes, Yes! OMG, I love Michael. I love this podcast. So fun! Thank you, Hans. 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 Five stars. Also, maybe they're praying for my soul uh, or for my next job. Either way, thank you so much, Trixie, for uh, that five-star review. Glowing, simple, exactly uh, exactly what I want. I appreciate it so much. Uh, if you're not on Apple Podcasts, that's fine. Listen to this podcast wherever you want. Uh, I just ask that you subscribe or follow and rate and review wherever you listen. Uh, write to us with your questions about the business or stories of working in the business of your own. SlateYourNamePod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Slate your name podcast uh and while you're over there follow me i'm at mcmills uh if you like this show you might like my other podcast bigfoot collectors club where i talk about paranormal stuff with my co-hosts bryce johnson also another actor who's been on the podcast and uh musician riley bray i want to thank john forrest one last time uh all right well i'm gonna join him in the green room uh if you don't follow us over there we'll see you next week and don't forget don't call us we'll call you